There is nothing we should be quite so grateful for as the last line of a poem that goes, when your own heart asks, be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you witness here today. The coming-of-age ceremony is where a young boy or girl casts aside their childhood name and embraces their Nanori, the name and duty of an adult. Welcome to our 12th episode explaining Legend of the Five Rings on the It's Mimic channel. I'm Megan and with me to again today is Roman and our now probably not so much guest star Steve but our actual, you know, friendo Steve. <laughs> oh, official. I believe his technical title is DM3. DM3? Okay, yeah. fair enough. Everybody knows that we label ourselves in these, like, DM1, DM2, because we fucked that up many times in the intro. Um, <laughs> so he is DM3. He's our official DM3. <laughs> Rock on. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be looking at some of the... What kind of what goes on into building a character in the fourth edition of Legend of the Five Rings RPG. It is weird saying fourth edition when I say fifth edition so many times in my yeah. life. I was like, what a weird typo to put in there. <laughs> Especially considering that, like, there is a fifth edition of the L5R RPG, we yeah. just, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. Nope. Well, I mean, we do, but we just don't respect it. Not on this podcast, hey, at least. No. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna get, we're gonna delve into the math of building a character. Most specifically, building a rank one character. They are built with 40 XP. Uh, this is spent to purchase skills, advantages, kata, kiho, and memorized spells. Advantages are purchased at a one-to-one -one cost, with Kiho and spells being paid for in XP equal to their mastery cost. Advantages and skills are purchased at a cost of the next rank in experience, and traits are purchased at a cost of the next rank times four, for everything but void, which is purchased at times six. A character's level, or rank, is calculated by adding up the total of all your rings times 10, and all of your skills. This will give you a number known as your insight rank. Insight rank 0 to 149 is rank 1. 150 to 174 is rank 2. 175 to 199 is rank 3. 200 to 224 is rank 4. And 225 to 250 is rank 5. Sorry, it's weird to consider when we look at role-playing games and how to level a character that we tend to do, again, DD's level 1 to 20. Um, other role-playing games like Cthulhu have a very high level cap. Like, the numbers are largely increased over time. Whereas L5R's multiples were technically you only have five levels to get to, which is your ranks, quote-unquote. Yeah. But the thing to remember, and the thing that I love about this game, and I'm going to say that lightly because I feel like Roman's just getting really excited the fact that I said love about this game, <laughs> uh, is that every time you go into a session of L5R, you get to do something new with your character depending on how many points you have to spend. So it's not like D&D &D where you get EXP up to a certain point and then you get the shit that pops off at your next level. L5R is very much built around the fact that you collect your experience. So you have 10, you have 15, you have, like, as you're collecting it, and then you can spend it per session. Yeah, standard experience gains are one to two per session. Yeah. I believe it's actually uh, scaled based on the length of the session. 
I don't really believe in that. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're hanging out for four hours, you're getting two XP. If you do something sweet or you beat a boss, you're getting four to six. If you're at the end of a big arc or something spectacular has happened, I might give you eight to ten. Yeah. Right? But the storyteller sort of dictates generally standard experience gains are one to two per session. But the fact that you get to spend those points in between sessions, and not every experience expenditure is going to bring you closer to leveling up, is kind of an interesting thing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, purchasing spell-like abilities, or kata, kiho, uh, memorizing spells, none of those actually contribute to your insight rank. What they do, however, is they make your character more consistent. And sometimes that's more important for the terms of your longevity. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the the leveling system for L5R is a lot more narrative and a lot less mechanical in a lot of ways. Uh, again, obviously you can play it any way that you like to, and if you want to put points into things that you haven't necessarily done, depending on your DM, your experience may vary, but you can technically do that. But generally the way that I've seen players go about this sort of thing is... They go at the end of a session, they're like, hey, you know, like, I did this last session and, you know, I feel like that means I'm this good at talking to people now. So I want to up my court to your rank. Can I put three points in and go to rank two or whatever it might be? Um, so it does really allow you to sort of like flavorfully evolve your character as things happen as opposed to just sort of going to a point like oh I stabbed a kobold and now I know how to do all of these things mm -hmm. that like suddenly just unlock because I am the next level yeah the evolution is more gradual it makes more sense given the context of the things going on and it gives people the ability to develop their characters in a more flexible and natural way as opposed to waiting until the end of something big and then saying, okay, well, all of these massive changes are going to occur. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because it's kind of, we've talked about it on the podcast a few times in the D&D section around when you level up or when you decide to take, let's say you want to take a level of fucking warlock for some goddamn fucking reason. Why? <laughs> right? Like, explain to me why that happened. How are you connected to that god? Where did that occur? Who are you selling your soul to? Who are you selling your soul to? Right? There has to be a reason behind it. So I think L5R does, to your point, Steve, bode that general progression based on what you're doing as a character in the campaign. Yeah. Um, because you're going to want to either level up the skills that you do have or something has occurred where you're like, okay, I need to learn this to kind of move forward in the storyline. What kind of actions can I take to kind of learn this? I'm going to spend a day in the library. Cool. Here's like an added to your, I don't know, exploration, one of your, the exploration pillars, right? Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, it's a very different kind of system in that way. And I think it, it, it does bode more towards role playing and storytelling for sure. Yeah. I think it fits easier into the overall narrative that like, I think both can be done either way. Like I think that, L5R puts the onus more on the player, whereas Dungeons & Dragons puts it more on the DM. The DM in Dungeons & Dragons feels more like they need to give players opportunities to build a character in a certain direction. So for your example about a warlock, like that would be a player going to the DM and being like, hey, like if I want this to be narrative, I need an opportunity to sell my soul to a patron. Mm -hmm. And then the DM goes, oh, okay, I guess I have to work that into the story. Whereas with Legend of the Five Rings... You're, you're actually sort of working more along the lines of, oh, yeah, okay, like, I did these things already, 
do you think I have done them enough to progress that skill? Um, which puts it on the player's side of things to sort of go like, oh, like find opportunities to do this sort of a, a task or whatever it might be. I always really appreciated that sense of agency that I got when I was playing L5R because if I wanted to do a thing, if I wanted to pursue something, it was about me actively engaging with it during a session more so than it was telling my storyteller, hey, you have homework now. It's, no, I've looked into these things, and I know how I want to sort of fit it into my character. Does that work for what you have planned? Yeah. So when when you have players who really buy into the setting, which is something that we've talked about a lot, it gives you a lot to work with because your players have done most of your research and most of your homework for you. Oh, I would like to join the Order of Ben 10 because I want to basically build a bard out of my courtier. I want to make people fall in love. Okay, sweet, cool. You know exactly what you want to do. You know exactly how you want to do it. You know exactly why you want to do it. Go to a go to a temple. Pray to Ben Ten for the end for the rest of this session. At the end of this session, okay. Now I have my notes. I know what I'm going to do. I know what boons I want to you know associate with that. So on and so forth. All right. So basically, we kind of talked a little bit of math, a little bit of how the system works. A um, couple questions I want to ask around this. So do we want to roll dice for this? Because there's three of us today. Or are we gonna? I mean, we could. Grab a d10. Who doesn't like rolling dice? I fucking love rolling dice. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, on the table, Steve. Sorry. Nobody needed to know that, Megan. <laughs> Six. One. Three. Okay, so <clears throat> my first question here is, like, what is your favorite insight rank to play at? So, again, for those at home who have not necessarily played Alphabar before, that is the fact that there are five different ranks that you can play in. Um, I guess the easiest way for those who have played D&D or other types of role-playing games, those are technically five different tiers of gameplay so rank one obviously is kind of like you're starting rank two i think three is when you get to be like a professional level rank rank three is i am a consummate professional yeah it's not like i'm just okay at this like i'm a professional professional yeah like i'm probably the person that my lord is going to look for more often than not yeah and then like four or five are like great tier it's it's neat that they are separated one to five because if you align them with the way that D and E does their levels, it's comparable. Yeah. So rank one, one to four. Rank two, uh, five to eight. Mm-hmm. Oh god, am I doing that right? You're doing you're doing great. I am not built for math. Uh, <laughs> rank three is nine to twelve. Rank four is uh, I mean thirteen it was, to sixteen. It was twenty divided by five, but you're trying to work it. <laughs> I am many things, okay? And a arithmetician is not one of them. If you look at my if you look at my class breakdown, you will not find calculator on there. Okay. Well, anyways, I'm going to answer the question first. Uh, my favorite rank to play in is rank two. And the reason for that is because I find it's a very good starting. Like, you're obviously not right out of school. You're not new to your role. You kind of know what you're doing. You're looked upon like you're, you're going to be able to go out on these adventures and be skilled at what you do. But there's room for error. And there is room for I'm learning. And there is room for, again, those added pieces of, yes, I've built this character to be this very specific way, but I have room to grow in a different direction should I choose, based on the environment and the people that I meet along the way. Um, I've had the most fun playing at rank two. I find that in the games where we started at rank three or we played a rank three game and some people were in the rank four, it was very, you were so good at your job that it was almost unenjoyable to watch you play. 
because you would roll constantly these power rolls and just one shot a boss or do this or do that. And it almost made it like great. Like you, you've been called in to get rid of this thing because you're going to get rid of it in five seconds. But that's not really that much fun for me. I like the growth. I like the development. And I like shifting and changing characters based on what's happening to them. Like, we played our marinade game with our characters at level 2 to start. And then the next time we played with them, we were level 3. And, like, sorry, like, rank 3 was the highest we could kind of get to after all the experience. And I spent a lot of time figuring out what would have happened to my character between the last time I played it and the new time I was playing it. And that helped me decide where to put my points and spend my money to create this brand new person. But it was the same person. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's the beauty of L5R, was you can't really do that with D&D. Or other role-playing games where you can kind of shift and change who you are as a, 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 a like a comparative human being or a person, right? Yeah. yeah. I am a big fan of either side of rank three. Mm-hmm. As we discussed earlier, rank three is that you are a working professional. You are the person they call in because they expect you to solve the issue with no issues. And that, as a storyteller, allows you to throw wrenches that they are not expecting at them. Mm-hmm. So on the low end of rank three, it's... Oh yeah, I expect you to deal with this thing because it's gonna be it's just gonna be a fucking home run for you. And it's really not. No. I'm gonna throw things at you that are closer to the high end of rank three, the early part of rank four. Enemies that are that much stronger than you, characters that are that much more cunning, problems that are that much more outside of your wheelhouse, so that you have to try to adapt to this thing that you were told should be easy. At the high end of rank three, I will throw problems at you that you aren't expecting, but not because it's too hard for you to deal with, but because it's different from what you were expecting. We're sending you in here because you need to assassinate this dude. Well, this dude is heavily guarded and it happens to be his daughter's birthday, so how are you going to navigate that? Oh, you're going to this town because you're supposed to be the new governor. Well, this town has a governor who is still alive, and he's an ornery old dude who happens to be a war hero. How do you navigate those things? Just because you have an abundance of skill doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be able to use that abundance of skill to solve the problem. And that's why I love rank three, because it gives you enough confidence in your character to say, hey, I could probably handle this. And then you, as a storyteller, get to say no. No, you can't. No. No, you don't. Okay, let's watch you try. Fair enough. What about you, Steve? Well, um, I'm kind of a split on both because I think that it depends on the type of campaign that you are having run for you. If it's going to be a longer epic, I want to start at rank one. I want to see this character evolve. I want to see this character change. I want to see it come (laughs) into its own. You know, like, uh, rank one samurai is not always, but often, like, a younger samurai, fresh out their genpuku, they're figuring out how the world works, how they're supposed to sort of act and, and react to things, and it gives these great storytelling, character-building moments when they begin to level up and get experience and apply that to their different skills and come into themselves. It, it's a lot of fun to see that happen over a longer arc, um, because you get that time, you get that opportunity on, on a shorter sort of more like five to eight session campaign, you're not going to rank up. 
odds are. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes, sometimes the, the numbers just work out that way if you put a, a particular sort of like set of skills one way or the other. But but usually you're not going to see those like vast changes to a character over a longer time span of time that you would with a with an epic. Yeah. So. Long games, love to start at one. Love that 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 epicness of my own character. Um, but with a shorter game, yeah, I think I, I would have to agree with Roman. I, I really do like running at rank three. Um, there's, yeah, I guess there is sort of that like, yes, I'm a consummate professional. It's the power fantasy. It's that I am good at what I do. I can handle like most average problems thrown my way. And then when something does throw me for a loop it's that much more rewarding to sort of overcome it using some things that aren't maybe my standard fare so fair that's where i sit sidebar question do you find that you like to play lower or higher rank depending on the style of game you're playing like do you in a, like let's say if you're playing a straight core tier game would you rather start it higher or start it lower and let's talk short like three episode kind of campaign i really don't like rank five okay like, for the same reason that you don't like rank three, yeah. I hate rank five. I don't like the idea of, like, mid to high rank four, rank five. Because, again, it's, you're too good, mm-hmm. right? Well, you, you have no reason to show up to this court in the middle of nowhere. You have no reason to be sent on this death-defying mission. Because they would just send chuds for <laughs> most of these adventures. Yeah. You, like, when you get to rank five... You're probably teaching the next generation of heroes. When you get to rank five, you're probably in the highest courts of the empire. And while those settings are interesting in their own right, that's not where most of the drama occurs. Because drama demands stakes, it demands tension, it demands consequence, and that's hard. It experience in general. It's hard to find at rank five. Yeah, it's fair. Um, all right, so thinking about kind of where you want to spend your points when you're leveling your character. So you kind of mentioned a little bit that when you start out with your 40 points and you're building your character, you get to choose, like, your skills, your traits, your ring points. Like, how would you, how do you prioritize your XP expenditures when you're building your character? So technically I get to start. Um, I do like to start with advantages and disadvantages, but that's just me. We're going to talk about those next. But then after that, I like to start with, um going through the main skills that I know my character already has based on like their school, what have you, so on and so forth. And I don't necessarily focus on, this is going to sound weird, but I don't focus on the rings until I know what kind of skills I want to do. Because the kind of skills I want to be able to do with my character kind of tell me where I want to put my points into my rings. Right? So, like, let's say I want to be a very high intelligence character and I'm choosing all of these, like, courtier-type conversational skills... Obviously, I'm going to want to put my my points then, after I've decided that, more into those rings to kind of boost those stats, right? So I kind of work in that roundabout way where I look on the back of the sheet, start with my advantages and disadvantages to build my character, flip it over, work on my skills, kind of figure out the top five to six skills that I want to focus on, and then jump into my rings to see how I want to do. I don't really care about... I'm not a person who maximizes my points to get a high insight. I'm just not. That's not my... It's not my jam. I'm a person who likes to build a character based on, I want to be really good at these things. I'm going to make myself really good at these things. If it makes me a high insight at the end of the day to get a higher rank, cool. But it doesn't hurt my feelings or make me sad if I don't pop it off and get there. Like Because again, I like building a character from a role-playing standpoint, and I'm okay with starting lower. 
because I have spent so much time with the system, it is hard for me to divorce myself from what I look at as the building blocks of building a consistent character. So, again, I know the way that things break down. I know that rank techniques offer so much extra utility and offer so much extra power to the way that a character is built. So typically, unlike yourself, I will build with that in mind. I know. Um, Most of you do. <laughs> but I also do the same thing where I will look at advantages and disadvantages because there is a maximum amount of disadvantages and advantages that you can take at character creation. Yeah. So it is 15 points of advantage 10 points of disadvantage and I will use the disadvantages and the advantages to sort of set the amount of experience that I have to play with for the rest of my character. That said, I will always purchase my traits first because if I'm going to be playing a character who is very water forward, then I'm going to be playing a character with excellent perception or a character who is super strong. If I'm playing a character who is very air forward, I'm going to be playing a character who has excellent reflexes and awareness. And I use those as the building blocks for who this character is going to be mm -hmm. once I have chosen the school that I'm going to be playing. A lot of my decision making is based on the school that my character is a part of. Oh yeah. I'm not going to play against type when it comes to the attributes Unless there is a very specific reason associated. Yeah, I feel like L5R does lend itself more to the fact where you want to build your character around the family and the school that you're in. Like, there's no reason to really go outside of that. Yep. Um, like, how in D&D &D where you're just like, okay, well, I'm a rogue, but I'm suddenly going to be super high in, like, charisma. <laughs> That's like, okay. <laughs> or, like, super high in strength. And you're like, but Why? Well, and I think D&D <laughs> lends itself to those sorts of things because there are rogues that can function well with a high charisma. There are rogues that can function well with a high strength. In L5R, the rank techniques that you take are very specific to if I am a Miramoto Bushi, it is my job to tank. All of my rank techniques scale off of my earth ring, mm -hmm. off of my stamina, and off of my willpower. So me putting points in things that aren't either of those things doesn't benefit me. I'm already getting benefits from my school and from my family name that if I don't buy into them, I'm going to be really inefficient in the way that my character's built. It's fair. What do you think, Steve? How do you prior? Well, just to, to follow up off what you were just talking about there, Roman, like, I think it does make sense, not only from a building standpoint, but from, like, a worldview. If you think about genetics, if you have a family that is entirely focused on doing one thing and doing that one thing well, chances are when you marry people up in the same family, and obviously family is a very broad term in the, in, in the world of uh, Rokugan, but that's going to produce children who have those same genetic traits. So they will be faster or stronger or, you know, whatever it may be that really plays into, like, the school that, that fits them. So, yeah, it makes sense that when you make somebody from this family and that family is known for doing this, that those things are going to go together. And when the, you know, one-off sort of kid comes out the door and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just really smart. They're like, okay, well, you go hang out with that fa that family over there that does all of the casting things. Yeah. Like... We want or, swordsmen here. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or the talking things. Yeah. Um, and, that you know, that works out fine because each family does, or each clan has 
um, representatives of all of the things that are going to have um, traits that are relevant to them. So from that side of things as well, it does kind of make sense. Uh, as far as for me, I, I think I do build uh, pretty similarly to Megan. Uh, I start with, uh, it'll be family and then school and then disads and ads. Um, and that's really important to me because not only do uh, advantages and disadvantages uh, change how much or sorry, how many points I have to spend. So advantages remove from your total and disadvantages add to your total. They also give really important pieces of information about what your character is like. Yep. And I mean, there are ones that will allow you to go to a school from a different family or that will give you a curse or a, a blessing that changes how you interact with the world or how the world interacts with you. And these are really key pieces of information that allow you to build around them and have a better idea of like, okay, beyond the fact that my character is Abushi from this family, you know, those give me some key information that I'm going to want to be strong and probably fast and be able to hit things properly. And then the, the ads and disadvantages really give you a better idea of who your character is. How have they been shaped? Have they had a traumatic childhood? Are they married to somebody they don't want to be? Like, they, they give you that, that flavor, and, and that's really, really nice. Plus, again, once you're done with them, you have a concrete pool that you can put towards your traits and your skills. Yeah, use your remainder to do that. Yeah. Um, before we get too much into details of advantages and disadvantages, because we're going to do a small section on that for folks, um, I just want to ask, which character type do you like to play most? Like, I mean, like, I'm assuming this is between Bushi, Courtier, and Shugenja. Um, for myself, I... When I first started playing L5R, I hated Shugenja. Because <laughs> I didn't understand the system enough to be able to play Shugenja appropriately. And I hated everything about it. Because it came from video, like, RPG systems where magic was instant. Yeah. L5R is very different. So when I popped off magic, I was frustrated and angry about it. So I switched to Bushi. Loved doing Bushi. Bushi were fun. Had a great time. Never really played a game where courtiers were specifically shining, other than the one game that we did play for one or two shot that we did. So I would say now, being a little bit more experienced, I would say Shugenja would be my favorite to play now. Which is weird that I kind of double back to, I, I love playing Shugenja. Um, I love a good Bushi if you're playing a short campaign, but I love a good Shugenja if you're playing a long campaign. What, do you, what about you, Steve? Um, yeah, no, when it comes to what I like to play, um, mine actually kind of mirrors yours again, which is just the fact that when I first started the game, I decided that I was going to try being a courtier, <laughs> which was a bold move considering who was running the game at the time, because the, the individual who was running it was very, very strict about, like, we are in-universe. The rules apply. If you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, you're, you're going fucked. you're going to get punished for it. <laughs> yeah. What do you uh, mean you didn't bring a gift to this court? What do you mean you didn't use the appropriate honorific? Oh, you only bowed ninety degrees. Yes. So there was just a, like, especially as a brand new player uh, who didn't really understand all of the rules of the world. I mean, I still don't understand all of the rules to the world, but I have a obviously much better grasp now. Mm -hmm. It was just stressful and it was a lot of like okay how do i best like utilize this scenario to my advantage and then doing one little thing wrong and having it all sort of collapse around me 
Uh, and I believe that character died not too long after. Uh, I can't imagine why. For being a shitty courtier. Uh, actually, no, in combat. But that, that's... Fair that's enough. Another... <laughs> <laughs> My tried to fight. That's another story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, did, did some things wrong. Uh, and it wasn't great. That's uh, But uh, we did do uh, a couple courtier or even just like face like like face like face of the party moments uh, more recently and i've uh come to enjoy it a lot more um the opportunities to give your party advantages through discussion and knowing people and having contacts and being able to manipulate a scenario into your advantage is a lot of fun when you're not held to the absolute letter of everything has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Like it's very easy. I think sometimes to forget that we're role playing characters who are not us and being able to rely on the roles. What do you mean? Not us. (laughs) How dare you? Being able to rely on the roles is really nice. Sometimes when you're just like, I want to do this, but I don't know how I would necessarily say that in in character. I'm going to make a courtier role. Cool, I rolled really well. How did I do that? Mm-hmm. And letting somebody who knows how the world works a lot better just sort of spell it out. Figures that out for you. Yeah. That's what storytellers are for. Speaking of storyteller, what kind of character do you like to play? <laughs> I love playing courtier. I love writing Bushi. Yeah. I find it interesting that courtier, in spite of the fact that they don't have a lot of immediate impact in in the world can have long-standing ramifications in how things occur in the world. You have the ability to make somebody's marriage, which is one of the largest parts of their life, wonderful or shit. Yeah. Right? You can convince somebody that, no, you're going to march three days from now instead of today, and that is the difference between winning and losing a battle. I find that courtier characters are very powerful and very interesting because their power isn't hard power. It's a soft power. Mm-hmm. I find Bushi more interesting to write because there are so many different things that go into building a Bushi both mechanically and in terms of the way that the story is written. If you are writing a guard of the wall, it is very different than if you are writing a professional bodyguard. It is very different than if you are writing a bounty hunter. It is very different than if you are writing a sailor. There are so many different flavors of Bushi that all inform the way that you write them, and I love that about them Mm -hmm. because... Again, it gives you so many different options for advantages and disadvantages, for skill selection, for uh, background information, and it offers a... I've always found it really exciting writing Bushi. Mm -hmm. I write more Bushi than I write anything else because per capita, there are tons of them in a warrior society. Yeah. Yeah, whereas your Shugenja are more few and far between, and your courtiers are very specific. And in very specific areas, too. I believe Shugenja are one in every 100 people. 
Yeah. Or should be. And that is not how it turns out most of the time. No. You'll play a game and you'll have a party of, oh, yeah, we all want to play Legend of the Five Rings. You have, like, four Shugenja. And you're like, oh, great. <laughs> okay, so we, we're, we're here for 400. We're all 70 years apart. <laughs> or sometimes you have none and you just got to deal with it. You know what? Sometimes that's the best way to go. <laughs> what do you mean? Literally. There, what do you mean there are no Shugenja in our current party? Oh, Lord. Alright, uh, moving on, we're going to talk about the big meat and potatoes, which is the advantages and disadvantages. I feel like we all have a lot of feelings around this, but let's give them a breakdown of what it is. So, the difference between advantages and disadvantages is pretty apparent in their names. Advantages, you spend experience to acquire. Disadvantages, you gain experience to suffer through. Uh, they affect how your character is built significantly because they inform a lot of how your character role plays there are five different kinds of advantages and disadvantages there are mental social physical spiritual and mystical and we're going to break down some of those for you right now starting with the advantages so the first advantage is bland it is a physical advantage worth two experience points you are extremely unremarkable in every regard, and others have a difficult time recognizing you, unless you deliberately draw attention to your identity or affiliations. Whenever someone is making a lore Bushido awareness roll to determine your honor rank, or a lore heraldry intelligence to determine your identity, you may voluntarily choose to increase that target number by 10. You're hard to spot. You're hard to pick out in a crowd. You're boring. Yep. <laughs> And you know what? Sometimes being boring is really helpful when you don't want to be seen. Blending in is great. Blissful betrothal is a social advantage worth three points. Your marriage has been arranged, and much to your delight, you have come to love your intended spouse. The social connections you have established as a part of your enthusiastic marriage preparations allow you to purchase the following advantages for two points less each to a minimum of one. Gentry. Karmic tie with your betrothed only, social position and wealth. Blissful betrothal is really cool from a mechanical standpoint, but means a lot more from a role-playing standpoint. Because marriage in Rokugan is... Transactional. Largely arranged. Yeah. You are lucky if you get to marry somebody that you actually like. And you are extra lucky if you get to fall in love with them. So the idea that I love my wife, I love my husband, as a part of your character, it's it's not as common as you would think it would be in that setting. The fact that you get a mechanical advantage for it, so Gentry gives you like a holding. Karmic tie lets you gives you like a small bonus whenever you act in uh, favor of your betrothed. Social position is just, again, a stat buff. And wealth, again, another stat buff. Those are the worst parts of the advantage. The best parts of the advantage is that you get this cool role-playing pivot where you get to say, have you met my wife? She's great. Have you met my husband? He's a stud. <laughs> Blood of Asanawo is a spiritual advantage worth four points. 
You are descended from a bloodline of Hida Osanowo, the fortune of fire and thunder, and his resilience lives on in you. You are immune to any penalties or damage from natural weather conditions such as winter cold, summer heat, etc. If you suffer damage from a spell that employs natural forces, such as a mighty storm created by a hurricane or a lightning bolt summoned by fury of Osanowo, you reduce the amount of damage you suffer by one keep one. Crab and Mantis characters may purchase this advantage for three points instead of four. Phenomenal advantage. It is something that doesn't seem very powerful until you're in a situation where you're in the middle of the desert or where you're at the risk of catching a cold. Again, being hit by lightning and being able to shrug it off because your great-great-granddad was from the family of the lightning-throwing god, like, pretty cool. Um, overall one of the more mechanically powerful advantages but it is something that you can use as a role-playing crux as well especially if you're not from the crab or the mantis families being able to say yeah somewhere in my ancestry we are related to the crab of the mantis gives you a way of interacting with crab and mantis characters in a more meaningful way yeah, I think that's a good thing to point out now, too, when looking at advantages and disadvantages as a whole. Some benefit very specific clans because it fits and ties into their history and their connection with Rokugan land as a whole. And then some are just more expensive because you aren't attached to that in any way, shape, or form. So when you're building your character and you're kind of new to L5R, it is interesting to look at the advantages that are good for your family Versus the ones that are bad, and so on and so forth. Like, it's it's nice to kind of take on those boons if you're just looking for a simple character to build. Yeah. Yeah, and then on the other side of things, we do have our disadvantages, which, um, like Roman was saying, are negative aspects about your character. So they will make things harder for you to do for additional points to spend in your skills or on your rings or whatever else. So basically, you can build a more statistically better character at the cost of having some kind of thing that plays into how your character is that will either drastically or, you know, occasionally make your life more difficult. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, blind is a physical disadvantage. I think we can all agree about that one. Uh, for six points, so you get an additional six points to spend, uh, you possess no natural eyesight whatsoever, save for a slight ability to determine light and dark you suffer a penalty of minus three keep three to all ranged attack rolls and a minus one keep one to melee attack rolls. Your base armor uh, target number is equal to your reflexes trait plus five. Your water ring is considered two ranks lower for the purposes of determining how far you may move as part of a move action. Any attempt at a simple move action requires an athletics agility roll uh, at target number of 20 or you are knocked prone. You may not make perception rolls unless the GM judges that you can use senses other than sight for the roll. So, clearly, changes everything. Your character, as a, as a blind individual, has a lot more trials and tribulations around interacting with their environment, moving, attacking, not being hit. As you know, somebody who can't see or can barely see would be expected to. Mm -hmm. So as a result, you do get a really big boon experience points towards making other things work a little bit better. 
Um, the next one would be Brash, which is a mental disadvantage. Uh, it gains you three points. And you have a notoriously short temper and are likely to answer anything you perceive as a threat with steel. If you are threatened or insulted, you must make a willpower trait roll at a target number of 25 or you will attack immediately. This disadvantage is worth four points to lion characters. So just like the, um, the last advantage was worth was sorry, what cost less to purchase for Mantis and Crab characters, this one will give you more points because Lion characters are more traditionally in a brash sort of scent of mind. The last disadvantage we're going to look at today is Broken Wave Stigma, which is a social disadvantage for two points. Your status as a citizen of Broken Wave City is a constant reminder of the past difficulty between your clan and the Phoenix. Despite their inclination towards pacifism, many have found the War of Fire and Thunder difficult to forgive. You're, you suffer a penalty of minus one keep zero to all social skill rolls made targeting members of the Phoenix Clan. You gain one less point than normal when purchasing the Sworn Enemy or Nemesis disadvantages if the other party is a Phoenix Clan Samurai. So this clearly is just a purely narrative disadvantage. It plays into the history of the world. It targets a very specific subset of players, but it does essentially have a really interesting sort of play style if you are playing in a campaign where you're going to be talking to Phoenix because you are just sort of this person that they're sort of like, mm, not really sure I want to associate with you, not really sure I want to believe anything you have to say. It's just a prejudice that has lived on because of this terrible thing that's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And it plays into the way that you have to interact with the world. Yeah, and like, these are just like, again, three like options that you can choose for advantages, three options you can choose for disadvantages to kind of give you a feel for what you could choose, but there's tons of different advantages, tons of different disadvantages you could. So let's roll some dice. I'm going to ask some questions. Ten. I got a nine. I got a three. Oh, Stevie gets I got a first. rock. I got a rock. All right. So we did kind of talk about it originally when we were talking about character development, character building, but at what point do you choose your ads and disads? I think Stevie kind of spoke to this already, but did you have any other comments on it? Yeah, I guess I kind of jumped ahead a little bit on this one, but yeah, basically just it is... It gives me the building blocks to come up with an interesting character. Obviously, I generally go in with a, a, a general idea of what I want to create. But choosing ads and disads allows me to really play around with the history of the character and give concrete gameplay ideas as to why they are a certain kind of way. It's a narrative building tool that allows for more fleshed out, interesting characters. And while the list of ads and disads in the book are fairly comprehensive, there's nothing saying that you can't go and talk to your GM and just be like, hey, like, I want this to be part of my character. What would I get paid for that? Mm -hmm. Or what would I have to pay you for that? Um or how can I flavor this even better to go along with my clan? Precisely. Or like, like my let's, family let's, or what Let's adjust you. this. Yeah. Um, I think actually in, our, in the game that we're playing right now, I sat down with Roman and did exactly that. Um, I wanted my character to have a Gaijin name um, because he's from the Unicorn Clan. His mom comes from lands outside of Rokugan. And it wasn't just quite fitting right with the character. Like the text for that kind of a disadvantage didn't 
fit exactly with what we wanted to do. So we sat down, we workshopped it, we came to an agreement, and it flows so much nicer as a result. But it did give me that opportunity to build this backstory about this this kid who's grown up as a half Rokugani kid in the Empire and and how that affects him as a person and the way he's treated by others as a result. Yeah, it gave you like a flavor text jumping point, yeah. right? And I feel like that's where I was kind of saying, like I usually tend to choose my ads and disads first when I'm looking at my character because I can't really see the direction of my character until I know the role-playing aspects of them. And I find that ads and disads give you that narrative jump-off point to figure out how to build your character from there. Precisely. I think something to kind of point out if you're being a storyteller or a GM for an L5R game, though, is that like... You can add ads and disads as a GM to characters as things are happening. So, like, let's say suddenly you're in a situation where suddenly you are betrothed to somebody, you're pissed off about it, bitter betrothal. There you go. Yep. Have fun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's say you murdered someone in cold blood, you're haunted. Congratulations, right? You can add ads and disads, so it's a good to know what the list is and have it to your, at your disposal if you're going to be a storyteller in L5R. To kind of have, yeah, have that in your back pocket, that if a character does something stupid or great, you can reward or take away from their character because, and give them that character development and add that flavor to them, right? The number of times motherfuckers have caught a permanent wound because they fucked around and found out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the number of times that, like, you know what? You did an excellent job. We were at the end of your arc. You found your sweetie. You gave her a little smooch. Congratulations. Enjoy your bit of betrothal. Like, funny thing, true love is a disadvantage. Yeah. True love is actually a penalty in the world of L5R. You need to spend void points to act against the best interests of your true love. And you know what? Makes a lot of sense. It fits. It really does. <laughs> I will pick my advantages and disadvantages pretty interchangeably, mm -hmm. depending on, again, where the inspiration for the character is coming from. Sometimes I will build characters with a very specific idea in mind, and I will think, okay, this is who this person is, this is what I want this person to be. Where do their advantages and disadvantages come from? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll say oh, I really like this advantage or I really like this disadvantage, let's build a character around it. They do normally show up at the beginning of my character creation process. Sometimes I'll build a character and be like, you know what, I have a couple extra points. What can I buy? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, next question is around you as a storyteller. So how do you kind of ensure that your players are getting the benefit or the reward from the ads and disads that they're choosing when they're playing at your table? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think what it really comes down to, uh, and uh, maybe this has already been discussed on the show in an earlier episode, but there, there's something that we do, which is uh, a set of questions at the beginning of every character creation. So basically the character is made, and you've got a general backstory, and then you have this list of questions that uh, you go through and answer each of them to give an idea of who your character is and what's important to them and who they know and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so it can be handed in to the GM, which gives the GM a basic quick sheet, like cheat sheet of who is this character? What did they do? Who's their daddy? 
Blah, blah, blah. Wow. <laughs> I, I believe you're referring to the game of 20 questions. I am indeed speaking about the game of 20 questions. Which I have amended to the game of more than 20 questions. It was 40, but... and then we made it 35, and 30, and now we're back down to 20. Finally. Are we actually like at full 20 questions? <laughs> we did that lab in the last campaign. We, yeah. we, we, we parsed it. it down, we parsed it, we made 20 questions. There were some redundant questions. <laughs> it, is a tr- it is now a true game of 20 questions. Yes. yes. We, finally, we nailed it down. But... But I find that just gives a really good place for, for a GM to basically go like, I need to throw something at this guy. Let's look into his history. And you just like quick, you know, like one sentence, maybe two sentence answers that just go like, oh yeah, like, you know, who's... Who's your best friend? Like, what's their defining goal in life? What, you know, who are their parents and do they love them? Like, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. I believe one of Roman's favorites is, what's their kinks? You know, just like little bits and pieces of information <laughs> that could come relevance depending on what you're doing. So, honestly, sometimes you just gotta hit a character with something that they're really not expecting. Like, oh, in this moment where I am at the noodle vendor, like, this harlot with really shiny ankles just decides to go what's up boy how you live in like i don't know man uh-huh. you're gonna call it my shiny ankles fetish on the stream man okay don't even get me started on the shoulders fetish oh, <laughs> 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 a little shoulder here um i mean back to getting a little bit slightly more serious the discourse, the discourse. <laughs> back to the discourse oh, Lord. <laughs> um <laughs> I remember when I DM'd for my group uh, for the first time, my little campaign that we did, uh, I asked them, the only information I needed from you was the 20 questions and then what your ads and disards are. Because I wanted to be able to take advantage of them. And honestly, it gave me storylines to build off of as a storyteller. Like, one of my characters did choose bitter betrothal. I'm like, let's build your wife. (laughs) You know? Like, let's build that out. And then, like, there's a couple of other ones that, like, came through. Like, one wanted to take, like, a more points, like, infamy. And then I had, it forced me, the storyteller, to read more about infamy and what that means in the world. And then, like, figure out situations to put them in where that could actually become useful for them. So, it actually made the game more engaging for me as a storyteller because I wanted to give them that reward for spending the points in that area. Right? So, and it's one of those things where you kind of have to slowly plan it out. Totally. Because, like, you will, like, it was very inspiring in the first situation where, like, we did introduce the bitter betrothal's wife in the first episode. Didn't come back until the last episode. (laughs) But it came back with a vengeance. Right? So it's kind of like that you just keep those little pieces in your back pocket. And, again, they can be filler pieces, too. Yep. Right? Like, we always, so we do like to do a lot of filler episodes in longer campaigns. And I find that looking into people's backstories in a regular RPG game is where you're going to go. In L5R, you are going to go to their ads and disads to see how you can fill in a couple of those little filler episodes and give some give them a little something interesting to do. Right? And, like, we always talk about in the podcast about how we as storytellers and GMs and DMs like to make sure that not necessarily make sure, but we trust that our players know their characters better than we do. Mm. So if you have an ad or disad, and like I forget that you have it, and something happens within the storyline, and we forget to add the TN or like the target number because it just happened, and like it, time goes on, and then you're like, oh crap, I forgot to add this. Mm. It's kind of like okay, we'll add it now. We'll see how we can retcon that to reward you because you just kind of forgot about it in the moment. It's the same thing as like anything in D and D. You're if you, especially if you're like level like. 15 in D&D, you're not going to remember the 19 things your character can do. Like, you're just not. And I think that's the equivalent here, is that, like, you're not always going to remember your ads and disads in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think you as a storyteller, just 
to have the freedom to take it back and just be like, okay, well, no, technically in the situation, if you rolled that extra dice, you would have won it. But let's do it this way instead. Yep. Right? Because we already told the story, so let's move forward and we'll give you an advantage somewhere else. I just think that's something key to remember is like, don't, don't punish your players for forgetting at the table that they just forgot that they had it. Like. It's almost like we're not playing ourselves well, and they're playing somebody else. Yeah, I know, Megan. right? Yeah. And at the same time, don't punish yourself for yeah. failure oh, yeah, as for well, sure. right? It's like, fun for both of you to make this the situation better or worse, right? Yeah, because there's, there's certain moments where like, okay, I forgot that I had access to this and I failed. Oh, well, if I had this, I could have passed. Yes, but even though you had that in this moment, you failed and that is okay. What is the, what happens because you have failed? Mm-hmm. How do you think about yourself? How do you look at the world? How do you recover from that? Oh, I wasn't supposed to pass this because of, you know, reasons X, Y, or Z. Fuck it. You passed. Today you did a great job. In this job. instance, <laughs> you, you lucked out. You did yeah. a cool thing. What does that mean going forward? Who took notice of that? There, there's something that you said when looking at, you know, they paid for it. Mm-hmm. If you have a six-point advantage... If you have a six-point disadvantage, you bet your sweet ass that is showing up every session. Mm-hmm. If you're blind, oh boy, I'm picking on you because you're fucking blind. <laughs> that sounded terrible. <laughs> that sounded really bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The internet doesn't know my face. <laughs> oh, it's going to be easy to find now at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, like... If, if you have advantages that you have spent good experience points on or that you have received good experience points from, I'm getting my value. Yeah. And you should get your value too. Anything that's like one or two points, hey, if you remember or I remember, whatever. Yeah. But if it is five or more, it is a pivotal part of the story that I tell about your character in addition to all of the other things that you've said. Yep. Yeah. Right. Oh, I've I've decided to write a character who is this phenomenal warrior who uh, has fought in all these battles, and I decided to take epilepsy as my like nine point disadvantage. Yeah, you you surprisingly have gone through all of these things with this debilitating condition, and that has informed the way that people look at you. It informs the way that you interact with a lot of these things, so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. Not to say, of course, that a low point add or disadd can't be integral to a character. Just that it necessarily isn't always going to come up. Um, like, I think the reason I'm saying that is, for example, the, the character I was talking about before, the one who has a, a, a gaijin or a foreign name, um, I took, uh, at the end of my character building, I had like one or two points left. And to be frank, he is a spoiled brat. My character is a bit of an ass. He's just got that sort of, like, pompous, better-than-thou kind of attitude. And I figured, what better to spend my two points on than wealthy? So, mechanically, that gets me, like, a couple extra koku for spending purposes. But it makes you a twat. But it makes me a twat. <laughs> I am just, a ro- like, a rich, spoiled boy that, like, runs around like he's hot shit when he's really not. I own everything. Yes. So, like, integral to the character... Not integral to every session. Like, I don't think once has it ever been relevant that I have a couple extra koku in my pocket. Gaijin name, however, yes, has come up a couple of times in the way that, like, people have interacted with you. 
Oh, Dorakon. What does that mean? Oh, it sounds kind of like Radish. Daikon. Radish? Should we call you Radish Son? No, do not call me Radish Son. <laughs> I, I call you Radish Son. Yes, you do. Yes. So yeah, it's it's just about like the things that come out in the course of I mean that came out in character building. Yeah. When we were sitting around the table as a group of people figuring out our characters. Just shooting the shit. And yeah. it was just like a, hey, that kind of sounds like Radish. We're I'm just gonna, we're just gonna call you Radish well, Son. Because I'm gonna call you Radish because I'm and, also a jerk. <laughs> yeah, and so now that's just that's that is my character. It's canon. Yeah. So like it, it is interesting the ways that it can really come into your character's identity, um, important or not important uh, yeah. for the narrative. All right. So to finish off this section, what is a specific kind of advantage or disadvantage that you find most interesting as a storyteller? I'm gonna say, do you have a favorite advantage or disadvantage you like to take? You can do either like. A favorite type or a very specific one? Oh, that's hard. Um, can I pass? Okay. <laughs> no, you can't pass. <laughs> Gun to your head. Fate of the world on the line. My favorite disadvantage is being forced to talk on a podcast. I You're love welcome. Bitter Patrol. <laughs> you love Bitter Patrol. I'm I just saying, fucking love I'm going to call Steve out right now. You love Daredevil. Most of your characters have been Daredevils if they're in the Bushy realm. One or two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say my favorite one is Absolute Direction. I think every character I've ever had has taken Absolute Direction. <laughs> and it's come in handy twice. <laughs> Out of all of the Elfheimer characters I've played, they've all had Absolute Direction. And it rarely comes up. But when it does, it pops off. <laughs> okay, I think, I think my favorite, uh, I've only ever used it once, but it was for a very specific character build. Um, and I can't remember the actual name of it, so Roman, maybe you can help me out with this. Yeah. But I had a character who was cursed and would be attracted, like, the undead were drawn to Gakido. Him. Yeah, yeah, Curse of Gakido. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, it was, yeah, the, the, the campaign was very undead focused. My character was somewhat of a tank, and uh, I just ruined some of Roman's plans. It was great. We love that about you. Yeah. We love when we ruin our GM's plans. It's our favorite. <laughs> Bitter Patrol is my favorite disadvantage as a player and as a storyteller because it is, hey, GM, here's a free NPC. Yeah. Here is somebody that you get to roll in that will make my life hard, that will create interesting interactions, that will create dialogue, and if done well... Your storyteller can use it as a way of hooking one of their players. Mm -hmm. I had this NPC written up. That's great. Now they're your wife. Mm -hmm. I had this NPC in the wings. That's great. Now they're your husband. And it allows you to draw players into your narrative even deeper with a character that they don't like, but that they have to get along with for the sake of accomplishing their goal. Yeah. So we, in ours, I'm going to put Adam on the spot because we did, he, his character took Bitter Betrothal and I asked, well, why was it a Bitter Betrothal? And he's like, because the love of my life died and this is my second option. Ooh. And I'm like, great, I'm going to use both of those. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in the end, his, his, the current wife that was the Bitter Betrothal ended up being one of the big bad evil guys that he got the opportunity to murder with the sword of his beloved actual dead wife wow. wow it was a phenomenal moment for him i made him cry it was great <laughs> wait no no you can't put that on the podcast adam doesn't cry <laughs> <laughs> i said multiple times i made adam cry because it's my most treasured moment of my life 
Um, <laughs> but no, I love Bitter Betrothal too. But I also just like the ones that just mechanically come in handy every once in a while. That aren't necessarily like overbearingly known. It's just like someone's just like, I don't know where we are, where we're going. Uh, North is that way. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, like, how do you know that? I just do. It's like read lips, like uh, which is like I did read lips quite a few times too. Yeah, yeah, and like just and it's an expensive one. I think it it's is. like four points. Yeah. yeah, for that one. The same thing with like precise memory. Yeah, like there's all these little ones where like oh <laughs> the, like what do you mean this is super useful? And then you look at it in context and you're like fuck that's. That's really useful. Yeah. It basically says, the GM is your memory now. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Pop off my leash. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, GM. I have precise memory. Uh, I Like, I might house rule it so that there is a role associated with it. Is there not a role associated no. with it? No. No. There's really it's not. It's just, I remember everything. I would say in this moment, yeah, the role would be like a history to see if you even remember that the conversation occurred. Just like base intelligence role. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, yeah. give it to me raw. All right, so we're going to move on to skills. Skills fall into a number of categories. The most significant of these is referred to as the subtype, a system where all skills are sorted into one of four broad categories, depending on how the use of the skill is regarded in Rokugani society. There are high skills, bougay skills, merchant skills, and the low skills. High skills are exclusively the providence of the samurai caste. They are the skills one would typically see in use at a daimyo's court or even among the attendants of the emperor's court. They reflect sophistication and nobility and are typically require considerate education in order to attain and practice. High skills include acting, calligraphy, etiquette, and meditation, among many others. I like how you call them bougie skills, but I just want to call them bougie skills. Bougie. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, high skills are the bougie skills. I know they are. So it doesn't really make sense. So bougie is fine. Uh, but these are the domain of the bushi. These are the skills of a warrior. And while the samurai are not the only ones who practice them, since Ashigara and Budoka... Um, Budoka? Budoka? Budoka. Budoka. And Budoka learn some of these as well. They are unquestionably the masters of the craft. So bougie skills include athletics, battle, horsemanship... Uh, Yajutsu and the weapon skills. And then there's the merchant skills, which represent knowledge of certain practices that are not the domain of the samurai. While it is not inherently dishonorable to practice these skills, it is somewhat questionable. And those who do so openly and regularly are looked upon with mild disdain by their more sophisticated kingsmen. Some of the merchant skills include animal handling, engineering, sailing, and a host of various craft skills. Low skills represent deplorable crafts and practices that no honorable soul would even imagine taking up. Practicing any of these skills will usually result in a loss of honor for a samurai who does so, and, if done in public, quite possibly glory as well. Low skills include intimidation, sleight of hand, stealth, temptation, and forgery. Because of the nature of the roll and keep system, traits are often considered more important than skills. Uh, however, skills have a number of benefits of their own, and most potent of these are mastery abilities. So, mastery abilities are additional benefits that characters gain from having higher ranks in a given skill typically gained at ranks 3, 5, and 7. Although, there are some skills that gain a single mastery ability at rank 5. Unless otherwise specified, mastery abilities only apply when the actual skill in question is being used. 
So you'll actually see that within the book. Like, it'll break it down. That if you reach a certain rank, you do get an extra boon or benefit. So sometimes it is beneficial just to get that extra skill or rank in something so that you can get that extra boon. Like, the rank 3 Kenjutsu... Sorry, the, the rank 3 Iaijutsu uh, mastery ability is that you get to draw a katana as a free action. Mm -hmm. But the rank 5 Kenjutsu ability is that you draw as a free action. So, like, there, there's certain overlap, but at the same time, there's certain things where it's like, oh, okay, this is significantly more advantageous for me to have, right? Yeah, or for, like, I think with athletics, once you hit rank 3, then you can run across difficult terrain without taking any kind of disadvantage or, like, lowers the TN or something like that. So they're kind of like small feats. Yeah, it, like it, the, the feat increases per level. And like that does happen in D&D &D as well. Like as soon as you reach a certain level, then whatever feat you took might get an extra. Or an attack that you had get a, it gets an extra. Your advantages, your disadvantages, your skills all have something similar. So something to keep in mind. Yeah. One, one of the mastery abilities that I've actually always sort of wondered about, so I'm going to post my own question here. Do your thing. Um, is a lot of the courtier skills at a certain rank give actual just pure insight yep so it'll be like a plus three insight bonus what's the mechanical reason behind that so etiquette and i believe courtier i think so both yeah. give a static plus three at rank three and then an additional plus three at rank seven because it's like yeah three five seven um the reason behind that is you have a more nuanced understanding of the world and the ways of the empire, which increases your insight into the world and the empire. I think it is a way of scaling courtier. Right. Because for the most part, courtier are less powerful than Bushi and Shugenja in the rules as written. Right. They are very niche in their application. Which is why a couple of the house rules that I've used um, come into play. But for the most part, the rules as written reward their skills by giving them extra insight and allowing them to get access to their rank techniques faster. Because that's the, their meat and potatoes, really. Mm -hmm. A rank 4 courtier and a rank 2 bushi have similar effectiveness depending on the situation, right? Yeah. Sure. Cool. Thank you. All right, well, let's roll some dice and ask some other questions. I got a 10. I got a 7. I rolled an 8. I love this about me. Wow, bottom of the barrel of a 7. So one of the things we look at when you're kind of building your character and picking your skills is that because of the different types of skills you have, sometimes depending on what kind of character you're building, you do not have access to all those types of skills. So like say, let's say you're a Bushi or like you're a certain family, you don't necessarily have access to the higher tier skills, or you only have access to one, and then you have to choose what's within your wheelhouse. Right, so as GMs or storytellers, what do we do to allow our characters or our players to kind of buy outside of their tier? And this can kind of go in two different ways. It can go like at the character development when you're choosing your skills, or it could be like, okay, well, how do I as a Bushi, you know, like when do I allow my Bushi to get up to three or four if, like intelligence or searching skills when technically that's not necessarily their wheelhouse. So how do we as GMs kind of balance that kind of mid-maxing capability? You rolled highest. I did. Um, so I believe in character development, there is a max at which you could have your skills set at, at, at tier, like, at tier, let's say level four, like, yeah. So you technically have a max of four when you start. It's one of those things where you kind of want to play to keep that max in place. And if someone wants to go past that max of four, there has to be a legitimate reason behind it. 
There has to be a family member that has decided to take it upon themselves to teach you these skills so that you suddenly have them. Or you went through a traumatic event where you're a courtier, but you were a part of a war by accident because your bushi died and you had to defend yourself. So now you suddenly have an extra added boon in your ability to fight for yourself because you've had these experiences as a character in your backstory. So I think that just bodes towards the storytelling side of L5R is what you want to pull from to make a, allow a character to play outside of their preferred tier, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree that there needs to be a lore reason for why you are purchasing things that don't really align with where you're at or what's going on. At character creation, I allow a players to go into debt within reason. For me, it's like three, four points is my absolute max. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to, hey, like I like this is an important part of my character. If I was to, like, lose something else, it would kind of, like, hamstring everything else that I want to do with my guy. And you've written me a good backstory, I'll, I'll hand wave it. And I'll be like, yeah, you don't gain experience for two sessions. Because it's, for me, it means nothing. For this person to actually feel sort of, like, comfortable and confident in the character that they're playing and have some satisfaction, it could mean the world. Yeah. So, by all means, pick it, go with it. I, I can be kind of fast and loose with the exception of going outside of what is fathomable for a character at their rank. One of the rules that was sort of imparted onto me is that you shouldn't really have any skills above rank four until you're at about rank three. Mm -hmm. And while I don't necessarily agree with that wholeheartedly, I agree with parts of that. You shouldn't be rank 10 of, you know, Kenjutsu or Swordsmanship at rank 2. Rank 5, rank 7 are some of the most proficient practitioners of this art in the Empire. Rank 10 is reserved for gods and minor deities. Yeah. So no, I'm sorry, you can't min-max your character up to 10 points of this skill at character creation. You want to go to rank five, it's because you're probably a prodigy. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I agree with that to an extent. Um, I think, honestly, the character building in uh, Legend of the Five Rings prevents this for the most part in and of itself. If you want to be super, super good at sword dueling, so EI Jitsu, go for it. But you know what? Those point expenditures add up really fast. Because mm -hmm. you are paying a number of points equal to the level that you are buying. So if you want to be a rank 5, you are looking at 5, 4, 3, 2, and then assuming it's not your school rank, 1. So you're looking at 16 points of your build. Out of the 40 points you get at the very beginning. Just to be at a rank 5. And yeah. then you still need points to put into your rings like 16 points is basically how much you spend to get up to rank four in a ring yeah um which is a significant portion of what goes into your insight so if you want to be that guy that sits at the dojo every single day and like swings his sword and draws his sword and like assesses his you know his his sensei and that's his life and he puts his life into that good for you <laughs> but you know Suck what? It. Everything you're else. You're probably not going to know how to talk to people. You're 
probably not going to know a lot of social norms. You're probably not going to know how to look for things on your own. You probably don't have a lot of these other basic skills because you don't have the excess points to put in to those other base skills. I'm going to start building NPCs that way. <laughs> Man, it's, it's weird because it's almost as if like the system reflects the world huh? and the world is reflected in the system. Oh, stop it. Because the <laughs> motherfucker who sits there in the dojo all day only swinging his sword and assessing his sensei is probably going to have issues talking to his peers. That's crazy. Wow. While you, par- while you party, I studied the blade. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but my drunken mastery is much better than whatever this is that you have. So, I, I, Let me I, talk to you about my tavern brawler skill. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, generally my answer is going to be, if you would like to be rank 5, take it out of your other skills. Yeah. You know, again, I'm open to good pitches and good storyline reasons, and to a certain extent, I think that really comes down to the custom disadvantages rule that we t- I talked about earlier. Oh, you want to be, you want extra points? Cool, let's talk about what you don't get as a result. You know, like, debts are all well and fine, and for a small couple of points, Sure. But if you want to go much farther beyond that, like if you need that extra five points to get to rank five, you go and pay. Let's let's see what 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 about your character is no longer a thing. Yeah, legit. You know that kind of a discussion. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Next question is: So when it comes to points spend for ads and disads, do you guys like as players? I'm gonna say this as players first, or as a GM, uh, or as a storyteller. Do you use all the allowed points that you can in ads and disads, or do you just do what is flavorful? I'm technically first, so hush up. Um, <laughs> she remembered this time. I don't use all of them. And I think this comes back to my point from the beginning of this like episode. I don't build characters for the point benefit. I just I just don't. The math, I could give two shits about the math. I've made some really shitty characters because I don't care about the math. But I'm not going to spend one or two more points to for a disad that might hurt my character's development just for an extra point in being able to I don't know, my horsemanship, I guess. It just for me, like I can see the benefit as like a mathematician and a, yes, it makes sense to get that extra point. But sometimes when I'm looking at, like, the disads, I'm looking for those ones or twos, and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't seem that bad. I'm like, yeah, but I also don't feel like it fits with my character. So when I'm at that point, I just stop. So sometimes out of the ten allowance that I'm allowed for my disads to purchase to get extra points, I might use six or seven. Like, I don't use all of them. When it comes to disadvantages, I will typically buy the ones that I like. Mm-hmm. And then I will use those points to pay for my advantages. That's what I do. I balance it out. I'm like, if I spent six diz ads, I will buy six worth of ads. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I am more likely to max out my advantages than yeah. I am to max out my disadvantages. Unless I'm building NPCs. In which case, you get a full ten points of diz ads. Sometimes more. Like, go. my NPCs routinely will just be fucked up people. Because, like, if I was to look at the stack of disadvantages and then look at myself i guarantee you i have more than 10 points of disadvantages <laughs> i would put money down that Do you i want have me to more map than... them out for you no that's because <laughs> i can <laughs> uh-huh whatever storyteller was for you 
maxed them out and added some extra. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, but they also get, allowed me to take 20 points of advantage as a character creation. There you go. Yeah, there you go. That's the balance. How so. you <laughs> but yeah, like the, the point that I'm sort of getting at is that like, I will typically try to neutralize, like balance out my ads and disads when I'm building characters that I'm playing, but when it comes to NPCs, you get your full disads, and then like maybe you get enough ads to like make it interesting. Yeah. Honestly, I will always get my minus ten, almost every time. And you know what? I know that about you. Yes, I will almost <laughs> always get my minus ten. Like it is a goal to find something that fits that last. You know, if I've made it to eight, and I'm like, okay, well that's my character. Where's my minus two? <laughs> like, How do where, I get that extra? What what in here fits that minus two to like round it out? And like advantages, I'm more, like advantages. I'm more like you. It's like okay, what fits the character? What is it about them that I want to be able to do? And then the excess from whatever's left over from that minus ten goes into stats. D- disadds. You want your full ten points. I want my full ten points. You know, I'm promised X number of points to build my character with disadds included. Guess what? I want those points. No, I love that whenever we're in a session where someone's just like, how many like uh, experience points have we gotten per like session or whatever and where we're at? Yeah. I'm never the person that can tell you that because I've never started at max. <laughs> because I don't use all of my disads. So no. I'm not the person that started at 160 or 170 or yeah. whatever. I'm well, like, always... no, I'm sitting at like 154 and I'm adding my littles and littles. So I'm like, I, I actually can't tell you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm not that guy. Yeah, it was always me or, or one other friend who's sitting there that started at zero. Yeah. And either she's like, ah, oh, this many, or I'm like, ah, oh, this many. Because both of us are the same. Well, We're always... I mean, to be fair, like Roman what, does. cheese balls? <laughs> does tend to give the same amount of experience per session. Mm. So I just say, okay, well, we've had four sessions, therefore we have this amount of added. That's fair, yeah. So that doesn't make it difficult. But if we were playing another campaign where it was like one or two or three or whatever based on session, at that point I would not be able to tell you the math on that. Fair, yeah, yeah. But But yeah, that's that's really what I want is I just like, if I'm going to get additional points to build with, I want those points to build with. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's free money to a degree. Disadvantages (laughs) are what makes characters interesting. Like advantages are all well and good, don't get me wrong. You can still use those to character build but i personally think it's what's what hardships has a character dealt with that makes them interesting yeah i also feel, i don't know if I, I doubt that you've noticed this but like usually when i choose my ads and disads even depending on the number it i always have to have an even number no, if noticed. i have, if i have two disads i have two advantages if i yep. have three disadvantages i have three dislike advantages hmm. that's the number that i balance not necessarily the cost but i will balance how many i have of each so, and you know what? In when I'm in a, a crutch, I'm in absolute direction every time. <laughs> Stop, throw that one in there. <laughs> Just like how you always play human characters whose names start with K. Yeah. Yeah. Typical. Hundred yeah, percent. Yep. Ah, uh, my last one didn't. Kaya starts with a Q. Thank you. Uh huh. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Can you say her name one more time? Kaya. Uh-huh. uh-huh. The defense rests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Audio format does not help your character. I your know, case it really here. doesn't, but that's no. fine. Uh, all right. Well, uh, is there anything else that we feel is worth mentioning before we wrap things up here? Or? I think it just comes back to kind of what I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, that L5R definitely 
breeds more towards the narrative aspect of building your character. I think that other role-playing games like D&D or Call of Cthulhu definitely lend themselves more to min-maxing, specifically so that you can be the best of the best. Whereas, and we've talked about L5R in other episodes, where it does definitely more push you towards you have a specific role in your party. And that's a thing that people have to remember at the very beginning of character creation. If you're a bushy, you probably will not be the best at talking to people. If you are a courtier, you probably will not be the best at picking up a sword. Like, that's just, and that is specifically built that way for, like, the economy and how the world functions. Don't be scared that your character is good at one thing. Yep. That's the point. Wait, you mean it's okay to be bad at things? <laughs> it's okay to be bad at things in games. In, in real life, no. You have to be good at everything. But in, in role-playing games, you can be bad at whatever you want to be bad at. <laughs> All right, so before we wrap up this episode, I did want to kind of touch on a couple of things when it comes to building your character that are kind of important. And that's things like, of course, armor, weapons, and our traveling packs. Mm. Any role-playing game has these things available to you as a player. Um, so we're going to kind of go... I want to talk about a couple of these and just, like, touch on a couple of key points. As a part of your starting kit, every character receives a traveling pack containing 10 items. The items are chosen from a large list and convey important aspects of your character. Some of the items can kind of include... I, there's a million things on here, but there's things like chopsticks. You can have a coin purse. You can have a cooking pot or a uh, blacksmith's hammer or tattoo needles. <laughs> lucky cricket. Like, whoa, whoa, lucky cricket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we don't talk about the lucky cricket. We don't talk about the lucky cricket. <laughs> uh, but you can have things like a grappling hook. Okay? If anybody's had me on any of these podcasts, no, I fucking hate grappling. So grappling hooks you can have lanterns or makeup kits or again every role-playing game kind of gives you these options to be able to kind of choose as a character but i do find these fun to go through in the beginning because again similar to ads and disads they can kind of add a little bit of flavor to your character like why are you carrying around a cooking pot you get 10 items cooking pot is one of them why would you choose that right yeah you could go into, like, a weird backstory where it's your, I don't know, like, your grandfather's cooking pot that you're not actually a chef, but he was, and you carry it around, and you're looking for someone to honor with this cooking pot. Yeah. But that's just important to you. It's not important to anybody else, you know? Um, it can be things like a set of dice. Like, there's a dice game that you used to play with, like, your family or whatever, that you just carry the set of dice around, and you're interested in teaching anyone you meet how to play this game. Yeah. Right? So... We always overlook these small things that the game gives you to build a character or to give you a couple of items that make things a little bit interesting to start conversation with. It's nice to kind of put a little bit of thought into these. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the most iconic items I think I've seen any player ever carry around with them was a bunch of tea. Mm-hmm. He carried around packages of tea made by his family that he would dole out at basically... Any given opportunity. Yeah. As just like a little gift of like, my family made this tea here, have some tea. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it was just this really sweet sort of aspect about his character that was always present. But like, yeah, just part of his backpack, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the campaign that I played, one of my players had an obsession with coffee. Mm. And it was like, because it's not world-renowned Rokugan coffee. It's not necessarily accessible, right? No. But he collected different coffees from places that he was and would just have them on his person to be able to share with people in important moments. Oh, that's adorable. Because, like, tea, easily accessible. Other water beverages, great. But he'll be like, you know what? Today's a really momentous day. It's a coffee day. 
and like to like bust out like a little bit of coffee, right? And it's just like a small little backpack item, but it's neat to keep. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I think it'd be interesting just to discuss really quickly, like what would you say are your three items? You could take three items, put them in your pack. What are they going to be? Oh, Lord. I like feel like I need the full list. Hold on here. Yeah, let's let's open this puppy up. I like the wee stone. Oh, dude, B- bottle of sake, mortar and pestle. <laughs> Just like to deal with herbs. <laughs> Miniature ghost set. <laughs> right. Get get liquor to play a game. Yeah, it'd just be like a bottle of sake. Mix a fancy mojito. I'm going to have a makeup kit just so that I can, like, fuck with other people. Um, I would do an ink brush kit. I feel like for me that fits. Yep, that fits. I would have a lantern because I'm afraid of the dark, so I'd always have access to some kind of light. How about you, Steve? Any of these uh, catch your eye? Always got to have rope. Oh, 50 feet of rope? (laughs) Ayo. 50 feet of rope. Got, I, I, what, is, what is one of Steve's kinks? <laughs> <laughs> First the ankles, now the rope. God damn. Outing you on the internet. Welcome yep. to the podcast, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> Part of the family. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the rope is a, is a given. Uh, I'd probably go with a T-set. Um, and then uh, I think my last item would have to be... Uh, you go with the wide brim straw hat. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> just, just, just gotta have the class. Need the hat? Oh, yeah. yeah. Keep that sun off my pasty for, white skin. For the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all for this episode on character creation in Legend of the Five Rings. Make sure to like and comment so you can drive up engagement and spread the word about this great game to other people. And don't forget to follow or subscribe because next episode will be focusing on actual character creation and give you a couple of really fun builds. For information and details, please check the show notes. When you're resolved from the beginning, you will not be perplexed. This understanding extends to everything. Be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you have witnessed here today.